I think the internet is, 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 a, is an absolute game changer for Africa. A lot of countries have benefited mm-hmm. from the internet in many ways, but like we are the ones who stand to really benefit the most um, over the next decade as, as a lot of these uh, systems and, and cultures become consolidated at scale. Wisla, first of all, as our guest for the 17th episode, thank you so much for joining us live from Johannesburg. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here with us. Maybe to the audience who don't know you, I'm sure there are a few people who don't know you. Why don't you explain who you are and what you do? Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the invite and uh, pleased to be joining you both. Um, so I'm Wisla um, Jalakasi. I'm Malawian, born and raised, um, VP of Developer Relations at Chipper. I'm basically uh, a technical salesperson um, trying to find businesses and merchants to integrate into our APIs so they can collect money from and disperse money to the 7.1 million Chipper users uh, today. And yeah, I also do other things at other times. <laughs> can, we, can we talk about those other things later on in the conversation or are they off limits? It depends. Let's let's uh, <laughs> take it as it comes. Buy me dinner first. <laughs> so let's start with a very big picture question uh, about the continent and about how the internet is changing Africa, about how specifically the use of internet technology is changing the economy, society. What's, what's your view on this? Uh, how bullish or bearish are you on the impact of the internet on Africa as an economy and as a society? I'm extremely bullish. Um, I think it's it's really important to understand the historical context of the continent and and understand that a lot of these uh, borders that exist today are uh, what I can best describe as post-colonial residue. And what the internet has uh, allowed us to to discover is that we have like a lot in common uh, as a people. And there's a lot of like shared culture, shared experiences, shared history. And the internet is accelerating the consolidation of that at a cultural level. Uh, in a very fundamental way. And, you know, part of it, uh, culture extends to so many different things. And, and part of it is finances. Part of it is, is is how people interact, how people trade. So I think the internet is, 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 a, is an absolute game changer for Africa. A lot of countries have benefited mm-hmm. from the internet in many ways, but like we are the ones who stand to really benefit the most um, over the next decade as, as a lot of these uh, systems and, and cultures become consolidated at scale. And why in particular does Africa stand to benefit more than almost any other region? Could you just spin that out a bit, elaborate on that point? Because I think it's a super important point you're making and others have made the same point. Um, uh, I've heard this, a similar point being made by Patrick Collison of Stripe about how the internet, the power it brings to to Africa. Yeah, again, I think it's just like um, this, this issue of consolidating collective effort um, and getting uh, people to understand that we really share a lot more than uh, we have in differences. So when you look at the rest of the world, um, it is uh, split up into very tightly coupled economic units. Um, Europe is a pretty good example. Um, there's a lot of shared culture, despite the differences in language, etc. There's, there's, there's a lot of shared culture, but like from an economic perspective, mm-hmm. those guys have it all together and, and they've found a way of leveraging individuals, countries' strengths. 
Now here on the continent, we have many big gaps when it comes to, to that type of uh, economic consolidation. You find that resources that are in abundant supply in country A uh, are in heavy demand in country B that maybe is separated by you know, a very short physical distance, but those people are not aware of each other. And what the internet does is that it's made the world a lot smaller and allowed people to start forming these organic connections um, in, 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 in very powerful and compelling ways. And you see like uh, self-organization uh, in interesting ways that's powered by the internet. Like a practical example of this, it's, it's not uncommon to see women's village savings and loan groups and loans groups. These are called uh, chamas or stock bells or banking coin, depending on where you are. Like you see these at scale and they're organized in WhatsApp groups. And like they're able to like put their capital together, um, buy specific assets, do some farming uh, for a certain commodity and sell on international markets, all without ever leaving the comfort of, of, of their, their home or their, their home area. And they're able to sell uh, on, on these global markets. And when you look at that and you look at the infrastructure gaps that, that the continent has, really the only way we're going to um, unite all of this effort and consciousness is through a digital means. There's, there's, there's not enough roads for us to bring all the Africans together yet. So uh, we're going to use the internet highways. And in a way, what we're saying is that some of the fragmentation that you see in Africa between the 54 countries plus territories, the bad interconnectivity in the physical world, the distances, which is a huge continent, of course, the internet helps bridge a lot of that, which is super interesting. And let's dig into particularly the the tech space, um, what business models or what sectors, Wizard, do you think are most attractive in African tech? Uh, whether you're thinking Web 2 or dare, given the events of the last few weeks, even talk about Web 3 and crypto, what do you think, what's the most exciting space or spaces for you in the tech world? Right, so uh, I think the obvious ones that people uh, are, are working on right now are generally within the fintech theme um, and you know, payments uh, have not yet been solved to the extent that they could be, though uh, there's quite a lot of traction there. Um, I think there's a massive credit opportunity. Uh, I'm, I'm still like amazed that people buy cars and pay for them slowly over time in some other countries, but definitely not in Malawi and definitely not in Kenya. But the one that I'm personally most excited about is uh, healthcare, actually. Um, and there's, there's a lot that uh, can be done for preventative healthcare uh, mm-hmm. through knowledge sharing. Um, and then like you know maintenance healthcare a lot of people only think about healthcare when they get sick but there's mm-hmm. like lots of other different things and uh, information that people can have um, so that they don't have to actually get sick from certain types of, of diseases and, and I see like a lot of opportunity for uh, advancements in that in that field advancements in uh, preventing uh, the growth of non-communicable diseases, you know, like lifestyle diseases that come as a result of people's lifestyle choices as opposed to, you know, pathogens or, or being infected by something. I think that's like a massive one that uh, people haven't quite started solving with technology yet, um, except for a few development actors. And, and you know, one of my favorite businesses in that space is M-Pharma. They're doing a great job in turning pharmacies into like pseudo primary care centers where you can get access to this type of healthcare information um, and then follow up with you over the phone. So those are the, the sectors that I think have a lot to do, but obviously FinTech, you can't do all of this stuff if people can't get paid at scale. <laughs> so uh, FinTech is an obvious one. And you know, we, we out here building the pipes so that the, the next generation of entrepreneurs can build on top and, and really develop the society. 
And fintech's obviously been huge uh, in Africa in the last year or two because you said payment rails need to be built. There's a big credit deficit or credit gap. There's been a lot of interest around specifically, as well as fintech, specifically crypto in Africa. Could you touch a little bit about that in terms of what's the use case? Why may it be relevant or could it be relevant in Africa in a way that's maybe not so obvious if you're sitting in the US of A or in the UK? So if you're sitting in the US, you probably have US dollars. And US dollars are very convenient for buying things anywhere in the world. There's nowhere where a $100 note doesn't have value uh, globally. But if you're sitting in Nigeria and you have an import-export business, you're importing uh, computers from China and you can't get access to dollars, even, even at the central bank rate, you go to the bank, you've got all the Naira, you go to the bank, you say, I need money to go and import my computers from China. The bank won't just, won't give you the money. The alternative is that you go and like try to find dollars on the black market and you won't find like a consistent rate. Somebody's going to be selling them at 5.7, another person at 5.80. By the time that you've finished getting enough money to uh, import your computers or like go out your payment terminals, you have like an effective rate of like, you know, something completely unreasonable. And what crypto is doing today for Africans is that it allows them uh, an alternative to participate in the global economy without having to rely on US dollars. Again, when you're in the US, where the dollars are from, they're easy to access. But when you're in Malawi, Malawi is actually going through a, a bit of a dollar crunch now where um, debit cards are actually being limited. That's not news for Nigerians. Uh, and it's a $20 limit, I think. So you can't even pay for uh, two Spotify subscriptions <laughs> uh, if you're using your Naira debit card. Uh, but like, yes, it's a massive problem. And then the second one is uh, value preservation. If you're earning in Naira, for example, uh, over the past few years, I think the money that you've earned has depreciated by 5 to 25%. And, you know, you've worked hard for that money. You, you want to be able to keep it and to, to enjoy the value. And again, you can't get dollars right? because there's a, there's a dollar crisis. So why don't you get the next best alternative, which is like a dollar stable coin, except UST, please don't get UST. Uh, maybe USDC uh, is doing a little bit better off. And, and you see that the liquidity that's there in these markets is extremely high. Um, uh, and, and it's extremely high because people see the utility. So it's, it's, it gives us a bridge to participate in the global economy. And it also allows us to preserve value. And these are not problems that many people in the US or Europe would typically have. I want to dig a little bit more into what's happening in the world today, in the fintech world, the crypto world, the investing world. But I want to bring Gaurav, my partner in crime, into the conversation. Because I know he's got some questions that he wants to ping at you and also talk about Chipper Cash and dig into Chipper a bit more. Thanks a lot, Ron. I really appreciate that. Wizard, great to see you. I mean, uh, thanks for, for being on here, you know, and during the conversation between you and Ronif just now, there's, there's, some, there's a little thread that I want to pull on, you know. We're talking about Patrick Collinson saying, you know, Africa is, is a place that is very well established to be that. I think Jack Dorsey, I think, has been saying it for five years now. In fact, I think he's been wanting to spend a lot more time in Africa, but his plans were scuppered by COVID. Uh, and and it's, it's interesting. I started investing in Africa maybe three years ago, right? Um, because I didn't have access, there wasn't it wasn't very well known from a from an angel perspective. But you know, you as an entrepreneur was how long have you been an entrepreneur that's sort of been involved in the space where there's a lot of angel money or VC money in Africa? Is it been five years, ten years, seven years? How long have you been in the space 
not necessarily with super cash, but just from a place where the African continent has been seeing angel investing or VC investing? Right. Um, so uh, 13 years now, because I, I, uh, I registered my first business when I was 16, right? And it was a tech business uh, in Malawi. And I can tell you for a fact that there were no venture capitalists in Malawi. And I think right. there's only like one or two now. Right. right, and I want, I want you to stay on that for one second. So you're talking about a 13-year timeline, right? And I've, like, myself has personally came in here at this point, which is about three years ago, three and a half years ago, right? And you've got 10 years before that. And when did you see the change and why? Was it so simple as the internet? Was it education? Was it government subsidies? And, you know, was it only Kenya? Was it only Nigeria? Was it only South Africa? Or was it the whole continent? You, can you tell us a little bit more about how that journey and interest changed within the continent briefly? And then where do you suddenly see all the active players from abroad suddenly coming in, you know, Valor writing in at $140 million valuation for CUDA and Flutterwave and all these other names and Chipper Cash that we know. When did it all change? Yeah. So I, I distinctly remember making a presentation to the ICT Association of Malawi in uh, 2017, right? Um, this was just a, a few years after I think VC really picked up, at least in East Africa. So around 2015, 2016 is when uh, we started to see that it was actually possible for uh, for African startups to raise venture. And a lot of it started in, in Kenya and in Nigeria to some extent, but really Kenya was, was the market leader at this time. And, and what was happening was that like, the tech ecosystem in Kenya had previously been built by development actors and, and soft money. And, you know, they had done like a bunch of projects, digitize this, digitize that. But then the consequence of that was that you had like a very uh, savvy population that had very high internet penetration. I think at the time it was like 80% uh, penetration and mostly via like smartphones and like really good data. I don't know if you've ever tried to use like Safaricom in Kenya. It's amazing when you use the mobile data and you go to the US and you know you get on AT&T and you're like, oh my God, why is this taking so long? Uh, I mean, even in Dubai, the, the, internet, the mobile internet speeds are, are really not uh, as comparable as to like MTN in South Africa where uh, you know I get super fast internet speeds. So you have that combination. You had Perseus yeah. from, uh, from uh, Union 54. He said the same thing when he was dialing in from Italy. He said, uh, yeah. I don't understand how uh, Italians survive uh, with this internet connection. He says, my internet connection uh, is better back home. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's actually a pretty common case. So you had like, this population that had really great mobile internet. Then you have like an easy way to pay online with M-Pesa. And like people want to try things. So um, around the same time, I think also a very big boon for the industry was uh, President Obama coming to Kenya for the Global Entrepreneurship Summit, right? And I remember I was, I was running my second startup then, um, fresh out of college, trying to raise money. And then like all of a sudden, the environment went from, it's so difficult to raise money. We're trying to raise money for six months before that to like, oh, Obama's coming in with a bunch of foreign investors. And like literally over the course of a week, the barriers to entry dropped for a lot of uh, startups. And I remember that year. That's with foreign year, capital. That's not with local capital. Yeah, or regional. Yeah, I, I don't, that was foreign capital. I don't think that's now is when we're starting to see a development of regional capital. And I don't think there's any like local capital outside of South Africa and Nigeria. I don't see it. So you're still saying that, uh, you know, I mean, but given the temperature of opportunities in Africa, is it easy to raise money now? Is it simple? Is, is it, you, it's, a lot, it's, it's a lot easier than it was in 2016, right? Like 
last year was five billion. Twenty sixteen was three hundred thirty eight million raised across the entire industry, right? And that included like three hundred thirty-eight million wow. in total, right? So you can see the delta. It's definitely a lot easier now, but there are, there there isn't a lot of like contextually aware capital that is sourced in country. So like you know, if you look at Kenya, for example, it's very hard for Kenyan tech entrepreneurs to raise money from you know, Kenyan investors, because Kenyan investors are not used to uh, investing in VC. They'd rather invest in traditional industries that they have familiarity with. And then also, we haven't sure. seen the type of exits, right? Yeah. Even Nigeria. Nigeria now has a lot of angels because of Paystack. That, that Paystack, Stripe acquisition, all of a sudden, everyone wants to be an angel investor in Nigeria, which is fantastic for that ecosystem, because that contextually aware capital uh, makes a very big difference. It can unlock a lot of doors. And then also, like, founders are... are experiencing liquidity events for the first time some of the the og founders like the interswitches the the the, the flutterwaves of the world the founders of those businesses and the executives of those businesses now they have some cash and they're the ones who are like really pumping uh local capital into the ecosystem and i think that's great uh, but I, I don't think that enough of it is happening yet uh for for the rest of the continent yeah we're having we're having moments like that in in our region with people you know who exited from Kareem and you know or people from Swivel or from other places as well you know spinning off and starting up uh, their own startups or becoming very strong founders or you know doing things like you see Capita or you see Caspana or you see very other strong companies that are coming out of places like Egypt but you know as as just a as you know it's very interesting to look at that historical point of view and where the current heat map is of what's happening with capital access to you know entrepreneurs and startups in the in the in the region but with the current status right everyone everyone is not immune to oh my god there's a bloodbath going on whether there's crypto on one side or there's capital markets on one side or equity on one side or even bonds i mean everyone's sort of wow there's something we need to be careful now how much of that impact has sort of landed on the doorstep of the continent so far is it immune because people see that there's still such an opportunity to put money in and there's still so much growth to be had for opportunities which aren't capitalized in a digital ecosystem or digital platforms that they say invest regardless so we'll see more rounds are you seeing the breaks coming on in uh, in people putting in money from an angel or from a, a venture capital perspective are you seeing that impact or is there any impact at all <laughs> Yeah, I think it's going to be latent, if, if, if at all. I think we're, we're going to be spared from the brunt of it. Uh, because again, you know, you know, VC, uh, in the African context, at least, it's, it's, it's a very small, uh, slice of, of the global financial markets pie. I mean, when you talk about $5 billion, it's a lot in Africa, but like, you know, when you compare it to some of the, the other regions like India, Southeast Asia, you know, it's, it's a drop in the pond, right? So I think, um, a lot of the capital uh, was raised in the in in the bull run in the previous bull run, and uh, a lot of that capital has really not been deployed. Uh, many many funds still have quite a bit of dry powder to deploy uh, into emerging markets, and uh, I think definitely investors are going to be a little more a bit more cautious, and I expect valuations are going to come back down to some more reasonable sizes. I think the valuations have certainly been. A little bit inflated over the last year or two, which is great for founders and for teams if they know how to manage it well. But I yeah, don't yes. think we're going to see like uh, you know uh, a, a massive pullback. Uh, I think I think we're going to see fairly consistent levels uh, of investment. Um, I'm expecting at least several billion this year, 
in, in terms of like African startups raising, maybe not as much as five, but I'm not expecting a big drop. Um, thankfully, it's still a very early days and, and people are still, you know, the opportunity is still there. The opportunity doesn't care about what the markets are saying. It just means that some people are going to get in at different prices. And, you know, if those people play their cards right, all the better for them because, you know, the, the global economy will rebound from, from this. And I'm right now, three more fintech yeah. units coming up in the next two quarters. But yeah, for sure. You know, everyone's talking about this bloodbath, but you know, like the, the global economy is actually in a better state than it was in February 2020. Like this is these are precedented times. We've lived through this. <laughs> but that's 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 another topic. But before I before I hand back to to Ronathan, conscious of time, Chibakash. You know, we have to talk about that. We have to say you're 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 the man. You're repping it. This is that's your that's your jam today, right? And your tagline is move your money freely, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's your, that's your MO. And you started with one, one aspect of facilitating the movement of cash, wallets, people sending money, receiving money, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm obviously oversimplifying, but what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get to is when you, when you, your journey with Chipper Cash or where you know Chipper Cash and moving into this crypto space, when I just want to understand a little bit of background on Chippecash. Give us a, a quick introduction about where it started and where it is. And then if you can give us a bit of insight onto where that moment was where you're like, we got to do the crypto thing. We have to facilitate. We have to be the vehicle. We have to be the enabler on that front as well. So if you can shed some light on that, that'd be great before we give it back to, to Ronith to take the reins to closure. Yeah, sure thing. So Chipper is a cross-border fintech startup uh, founded in 2018 by uh, a Ghanaian and a Ugandan um, who met uh, while studying in university in the U.S. And they realized very quickly that like, oh, it's actually not very easy to receive money from back home and it's harder to send money back home in some cases. So let's, let's try and build a consumer app that solves this. And, you know, we've been fortunate to, to grow very quickly. Um, and one of the uh, underlying pillars of our growth is, is really just like a user-centered focus and, and really letting user feedback uh, drive our product decisions. So one of the things that uh, users were asking us was to say like, hey, why can't I just like buy crypto in this app? Because we saw that a lot of um, peer-to-peer exchanges uh, had us as a payment method. So it was it was very popular on, on global exchanges like Binance as an example. So said, so why don't we just like make it easier and make it like a functionality in the app and then we can offer better prices as well. And obviously the uptake has been much larger than we anticipated, especially with uh, with COVID and, and, and everything that happened over there. So yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of like really been driven by, by like user feedback, but the result has been a lot more than what we could have foreseen. Just, just before I hand back to Ronith, can you give us any numbers that put context and color of size? Are you able to, give us some sort of stats at all? Yeah, so, you know, we've, we've got 7 million users um, who currently process uh, around half a billion dollars of volume every month uh, across our entire footprint, across all of our different products. Um, and I, I can't speak specifically to crypto, but it's definitely in the hundreds of millions uh, of dollars. And it's like, you know, it's a very, it's awkward small countries that you might not expect <laughs> that are driving the, the, the most volume. Wait, I, will, I will leave you there. Thank you so much. Ronit, can you take it away, please, brother? Thank you so much, man. I mean, it was going to happen sooner or later if you're on mute, so let me take myself off mute. So, where's the last few minutes? Um, 
Gaurav, myself, and you are hanging out. It's Dubai 2025. <laughs> it means it means my residency was renewed. <laughs> gotta happen, right? Did you just say you got a residency in Dubai? You just volunteered that information. I didn't ask for it, but uh, you just volunteered that information. So why are you a resident in Dubai? I, I think it's going to be uh, a hub where the future of finance uh, for emerging markets is uh, mm-hmm. is developed. And I think that a lot of um, big business and big policy decisions are going to come as a result uh, of conversations there. And uh, I just want to be part of those conversations. Awesome. Awesome. And that wasn't a sponsored line by the uh, Dubai government, <laughs> it'll work. As Garama goes based in Dubai. And of course, we've had the pleasure of meeting you here, Wizza, in person, uh, the three of us. So it is 2025. Your visa's been renewed. We're in Dubai. <laughs> We're on 123rd floor or somewhere. Something. What are we looking back on? What's happened in the last three years in the life of Wizza as a fintech entrepreneur, as a, as a crypto maven, as a as a man about town, as a thinker about what's happening in African and emerging market fintech, what are we looking back on? Uh, hopefully, uh, some 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 good decisions with uh, with policymakers. I think that's that's really at the crux of what is going to make the industry uh, succeed or fail. So mm-hmm. I'm spending a lot of time uh, understanding advocacy and and really just like uh, helping people and governments build. Mm-hmm regulatory frameworks for the next wave of financial service companies and then also helping like um, incumbent or legacy financial service companies like banks and telcos Hmm. adopt this new wave because you know it's going to happen either way and we can either be um, participants or spectators so hopefully we're we're sitting back and uh, hanging out with a few ministers at some conference and saying like we're sure glad that we listened and then implemented this thing. And as a result, that maybe hundreds of thousands, if not millions mm. of Africans uh, have access to more wealth. Uh, they've been enriched. At, at the end of it, that, that's my goal. If I can help other people create meaningful wealth at mm. scale, then you know I've seen what money has done for me. Uh, and I want it for everyone in my village back home. Just a just a quick one on that on that note. Then I guess you know, Wizard, it'd be great uh, to have you guys join the Mina FinTech Association and also work with anything that's actually out there in Africa. Because then I guess we can have these conversations with Ronit and all of us. You know, with all the the work that he does in his his daily life as a as a as the man with all the actual data and knowledge and these organizations having these conversations would be great to actually kickstart it maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. I think yeah. I think we need like a Pan-African FinTech Association. And then we need to like take that association and like go into the African Union and sit in Addis Ababa and say, hey, guys, this is where the industry is going. And these are some tools on how you can regulate it in a way that allows you to to, to make money and to ensure that your people aren't left behind. Here we go, Ronit. There we go. On FinTech Founders, we, we also do other ideas, not just discuss them. We make things happen. Oh, we help... Uh... We help with building the future. And uh, Wizza, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, some of what you've said really resonated, uh, particularly the, the simple points about, you know, you've seen in your personal life the good that money can do, but also the good that opportunity can do, uh, whether you're in your village, your town, or in the big city that is uh, where Garo and I are based in Dubai. Um, 
the huge challenges, huge problems that need to be fixed uh, across the world, across the so-called emerging markets, but particularly in Africa, right? As you said, it's fragmented. The legacy infrastructure is, is weak, poor often. The interconnectivity is poor. And what the internet allows us to do in technology is basically leapfrog and knit this amazing continent, this amazing world together. So thanks so much for sharing all your thoughts. And uh, it's been a pleasure to host you. Thanks so much for having me. I had a lot of fun and looking forward to seeing you guys soon. Take care and see you in person soon.